Good morning. That was a less than enthusiastic response, but we'll go ahead and go. We'll try again. Good morning. The crowd goes wild. Um, This morning, one of the things about being asked to preach every once in a while is you don't have to follow a series. You can actually just preach to yourself. And you can and you can just hope and you pray that what God's been teaching you lately matters enough that he might be helpful to you as well. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the passage in, in Revelations where it talks about the seven churches. And remember the church that in Ephesus, that, and, and the complaint was that it lost its first love. Now, as I think about my own walk lately, I haven't lost my first love, but it, boy, there has been a lot of competition from lesser loves. And I found my faith a little bit dry and wooden. And so when, when, uh, when Jeff asked me to speak this morning, I thought, well, I, 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 I could. Uh, but, but I think what I've, been, what I've been thinking about lately and what I've wanted God to do is, is touch me afresh with the, with the truth of the gospel. And so for some of you, this might not be that relevant because you're just doing great and everything's just doing wonderful in your life. And you say, there's not been much competition in my life for my first love, which would be the person of Christ. My faith, there's not, it's not been, it's not been wooden lately. I'm doing great. Well, if you would just pray for the rest of us, because we're going to be talking about those, these sort of things. Now, I would suggest to you that it's easy to be misunderstood when you're talking about the gospel, because we're going to begin by talking about, I think, to refresh our faith is in some level to go back to understanding what got us to begin with, the the, the truth of the gospel. Now, the problem is when you start talking about the gospel, some people can start thinking that you're talking, you're focusing a lot on on yourself, on on, on people, on man. And, And we don't want that to be the main focus. So it's easy to be misunderstood at first, which kind of reminds me of a little story, if I could, kind of a funny thing that happened. Now, you, some of you won't get this reference, and that's okay. Uh, just laugh, because it's really funny. A um, couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, well, you know, the, the, the Kardashians. Now, when I say that, for most of you in this room, you think, oh, that's those reality TV show people who are kind of famous for being famous. There's, there's no real, value. That's, that's kind of what they're famous for. And you think of the Kardashians. There is a few in this room that think, Kardashians, those are the aliens on Star Trek Next Generation. You're going the Kardashians as a group. One, of, one spelling of that is with C and one is with K. Now, the reason that's important, then there's about 25% of you going, I don't know if either of those references, what are they talking about? <laughs> now, it's kind of important that you understand that there are two Karda- types of Kardashians before you understand this story. And the idea is that it's so easy to misunderstand someone who's trying to talk about something and kind of miss the whole point. My son, Skylar, and Mona went to a restaurant. And Skylar is into Star Trek and Star Wars. He's kind of obsessed with it a little bit. He actually had a little laser with him, or not, not a real laser, a little plastic gun laser. And he, they were in the restaurant, and, and he was kind of sitting there. And the, and the waitress came up, and she wanted to kind of get a good tip. And so she was going to be nice. And she said, oh, a laser. And then Skylar said... I'm a Kardashian. (laughs) Now, the waitress, trying to make conversation, said, oh, the Kardashians. 
you must, uh, well, you must think a lot of Kim. Now, it would be helpful for you to know that, that Skylar has a sister by the name of Kim. And so, <laughs> Skylar, because of his autism, sometimes gets a little bit paranoid, says, has she been following our family? How does she know Kim? Well, this lady thinking, I'm just making conversation. What I'm trying to, trying to just connect with this table. And then she says, well, then he, he, Skylar says, Kim is my sister. And she, she, I guess she's just thinking, well, I guess this family really is into the Kardashians. And, <laughs> and she says, well, Kim is pregnant. Immediately, Skylar starts shooting her with his laser and says, Mom, Kim's not pregnant. She's not going to have a baby. And, and no, 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 Skylar, Kim's not pregnant. She's, and why did she tell us that? Well, the lady's trying to recover and then says, Well, you must like Courtney instead. Now, that wouldn't be a problem, except Skylar has a cousin by the name of Courtney. At which point he's convinced beyond shadow of a doubt that this woman is following our family and trying to find out stuff. She's shooting her with a laser and they actually had to leave the restaurant. So I'm reminded by that story that it's very, very easy to get to a place where you're talking about one thing and people are hearing something very, very different. And we're gonna be talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. We're gonna be talking about that because if I understand that story correctly, in Revelations where it says you've lost your first love, then there's a little bit of advice for the church and there parenthetically for us as well. And that advice of the church was realize how far you've fallen, turn from that or repent and then do what you used to do. There's a reminding, an idea of, of being reminded of the truth of the gospel again. Now, I think it's important that we do that this morning and because I think that's important for me as I think about what would, what would recapture our, our love for Christ? What would re-energize our love for Christ? Well, I would suggest it would be if we remembered what the gospel is all about. Remember when Paul in Romans said in the beginning of Romans that he was gonna go back to Rome and preach the gospel, that he couldn't wait to go back and preach the gospel. A careful reading of that, you just read that, you assume that he's talking about preaching to New people. Well, that's all, that's implied in there, but it's also implied he's gonna preach the gospel to the congregation again, the people that already know Christ. The idea that I'm gonna preach the gospel again to you. And so this morning, we're gonna talk about the gospel. Why? Because, well, quite frankly, I need that reminder in my own life this morning because there's a part of me that has been fighting a little bit of the battle with lesser gods and lesser loves than my, my, my Lord and Savior. And maybe that's true for you. So before we talk any more about God, before we talk and look at his word together, let's talk to him. Could we pray together just for a minute, please? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to be here this morning. Father, every person in this room has been brought here by you. You know each of us. Father, we think we have so many secrets and you know every one of them. So Father, the, the family that's barely hanging on, the, the people that got bad news from a doctor. Father, you know every story in this room, nothing surprises you. Would you meet us here this morning? 
Father, we really want to be changed. We don't want to just pretend. We really do want to be free. Free to love. Free to live. For your glory and for your purposes. So Father, meet us here this morning. For some of us, would you renew? Would you recapture our hearts again? We admit to you we've been pretty fickle. As you recapture our hearts with the truth of your gospel, Father, for the people in this room that are too comfortable, would you disrupt them this morning? For the people in the room that are disrupted, would you comfort them? We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if we're going to take a fresh look at the gospel, you've got to start by looking at You know, people will say all sorts of things. You know, we use language a lot of times in the Christian world that other people don't use. Like, somebody's saved. Saved from what? Sin. People don't use that word very much. Redemption. There's all sorts of words. We we use covenant. Words that you don't hear usually in the conversation. As you're ordering your your meal at McDonald's, you usually don't hear some of that language that, that is pretty common to us. So... But one of the reasons that I've become convinced that so often my faith becomes kind of wooden is that I reduce the definition of sin in my own life to real little things. Like, did I cuss or not? Or did I cuss a lot or not? Did I yell at the family? Did I drive too fast? And and so I kind of reduce, I I reduce, so my, my sin, my struggle, my the things I do wrong, to kind of a, a pretty small list. And then I compare, then I find someone to compare myself to, usually the worst person I can find. And I can usually do okay compared to them. At least, you know, at least I'm not. And then I fill in the blank with, you know, with, with that person. I'm sure there's many people who say, well, at least I'm not Cofield. But, but you know, but there's others who say, oh, at least I'm not. And so I don't know who you compare yourself to, but there's a funny thing that happens when you begin to do that. You then begin to start thinking God got a good deal. And that... And that somehow the grace of God and his great work on the cross was a nice thing, but he got a pretty good deal with you. And in the process of that, you wonder, where did my passion go? What happened to my passion for Christ? And so this morning, I'd like us to, to, I'd like to remind you of kind of how the state that we were saved from, that's one of those phrases that they wouldn't use, you wouldn't use, what are we saved from? And so I'm going to look at four pictures in the Old Testament, four metaphors, if you will, four pictures of sin in the Old Testament. Oh, gee, I'm glad I came to church this morning, four pictures of sin. Well, if you, if you, if you immediately had that reaction, then you're a little bit like me, and you're, you, you probably have a very, uh, very uh, behavioral view of sin. It, it's funny, I, I sometimes go back to these pictures in my own life Whenever I get in those places where I feel kind of wooden in my faith, and then these pictures kind of help me kind of realize, oh, thank you, Lord, that I'm not, that you have saved me from this as I continue to, to grow. The first picture I'd like to suggest to you is found in Genesis. Now, you know the story. It's of Cain and Abel. And you, you know who killed who? Just a little quiz. Um, Abel was killed by his brother Cain. And do you remember what happened next? God talks to Cain. And he says to him, you will be a wanderer. 
Now, in that day and time, you might, you might think, hey, I'd like to be a wanderer. We, you know, that sounds like a good thing. In that day and time, a city was, gave you two things, at least two things. It gave you a place to belong, a community, and it also provided safety for you because of the walls. And so a city provided for you at least these things. It provided safety for you in community, a place where you belong. And, the, and, and God tells Cain, you'll be a wanderer. Well, look what Cain does next. In Genesis 4, uh, 16 and 17, we find Cain's response to God's, uh, to, uh, to God's um, curse on him, if you will. Then Cain went out away from the presence of the Lord, settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he, named, he called and named the city after the name of his son, Enoch. The first picture I'd suggest to you of sin is a picture of a city builder. You're going to wander. The first picture is, God, I'm not going to trust you with relationships, and I'm not going to trust you with safety. I'm not going to trust you with those things. Instead, I'll build a city. I'll take care of myself. I'll build a city. And so the first picture of sin is a picture of a, of, of a person saying, nope, I'm not going to trust what you've called me to do or what you've told me is going to happen to me. I'll take care of my basic things by building a city. He even named it after his kid. I mean, how many times do I sometimes... Um, make my value, my children? How often do I sometimes um, make my, my relationships, I'm going to take care of it and fix it and make it all work. And I'm not going to trust him with my relationships and my safety. I'm going to build me a city. Any city builders here? Well, I'll raise my hand. I am a city builder by nature. God tells me one thing and I say, I'll take care of me. At the core, all sin is ultimately a belief that God is not good. At the core, if you take all the layers off, sin is the idea that says, listen, I can't trust you with my life. You're not good. I'll take care of me. And then the essence of the city builder is someone who says, I won't trust you for relationship. And I won't trust you for my safety. I'll figure that out myself, thank you. Thanks, but no thanks. I'll take care of it myself. That's the first picture I'd like to suggest to you. Second picture I'd like to suggest of sin would be, uh, we'll go to Jeremiah next. Jeremiah 2, it's a picture of uh, people in a desert. And when you're in a desert, you are what? Thirsty, I would suggest, would be your, your greatest need. Uh, in, uh, and so what do they do? Has a nation changed its gods even though there are no gods? They, they, are, they are no gods, speaking of the, the uh, idols. But my people have changed their glory for that which is not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, by this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two sins or two evils. They've, please listen to what this says. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, 
and hewned out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now that's a picture of people in a desert who are thirsty and basically said, we'll take care of our, we'll take care of our thirst needs by building a cistern. Now, a cistern was an elaborate way. You, you realize most of the world spends most every day just getting water and food needs met. I mean, there are people that they get up in the morning and their goal by the end of the day is to make sure there's enough water and food in their, in their house. And that's how they live their life. That's how they live their day. Um, and so the, 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 the picture here is a picture of people in a desert who have great need for water, turning their back on God, the source of living water, and building for themselves cisterns. They, they would build elaborate aqueducts, elaborate systems that would bring water to them. And they would then take plaster, a kind of plaster, and put it in the, in the trough, if you will, the, the cistern that brought them water. And the, that, that plaster would crack, and then the water would seep out into the desert. And the idea would be that it's a broken cistern that doesn't hold water. That's, that's, the, that's the image. And so the second picture, if the first picture says, I will not, I will not, tr- I will not be alone. The second one is, I will not be thirsty. I will be satisfied. Now, that's kind of easy for us because most of us aren't very thirsty in terms of water. In our culture, in our, in our, in our lives, since most of us have our basic needs met, water and, and food, our thirst, we're thirsty in a different way. Kind of we can move up the hierarchy of, of needs and we're thirsty for to connect, for self-esteem, for, for respect, for love. And, and, and we are incredibly thirsty. You don't get away from the idea. In, in the Bible, God presents humanity without him as thirsty, hungry, uh, blind, crippled. We are presented as, as, as there's a desperateness in humanity outside of Christ. And just because we are not thirsty physically, in our culture, that thirst is, a, is, is, is maybe it's sometimes even a deeper thirst, a thirst for, for accomplishment. Or, and we have that same commitment they had in that desert. I will not be thirsty. I will be satisfied. I will be satisfied. I will not be thirsty. I will be satisfied. If the first commitment in the first picture of sin is a commitment to build a city, to not trust God with our relationships, with our connecting and our protecting. The second is a picture that says, I won't trust God with my needs. I won't trust God with the deepest parts of my needs, my, my fears, my, my deepest longings. My deepest longings for, I will not trust God with those. I will turn my back on him and I will build for myself a well. I will dig a well. I'll build a cistern that will give me my needs because I can't trust him with those needs. But I want to be respected and the world doesn't respect me. I will make the world respect me. I want to be my deepest needs. We then bring bring not to him, but we say, I'll take care of my needs. And we begin to say, I'll, I'll, I'll get those needs met. And we become well diggers. What does the scripture say? Well, it's a broken cistern. It doesn't hold water. 
It'll work for a while. You'll get a little bit of nourishment. It'll give you all that it can, but never gives enough. And you remain more thirsty as time goes on. So the second picture of sin in this passage, in, in the, the images that I'm gonna, we're gonna talk through this, this morning, is a picture of a, a well digger uh, uh, that, that says, I will be satisfied. I will not live with, a, with an unresolved longing. I will not live with an unresolved longing. I will not live that way. I will be satisfied. I won't be thirsty. That's the second commitment that, that God would say, that, that's, that looks like sin. Third picture I'd suggest to you, just go, go forward just a, few, uh, just a few pages, and you'll see in Isaiah, or if you want to sound really intelligent, you take off your glasses and say, Isaiah. I practice that sometimes. <laughs> Isaiah. If you'll turn to Isaiah. That would be uh, chapter 50. Now, this is an interesting passage. It's kind of a switch of a metaphor. Most of the time in the Bible, God is talked about as light and evil is talked about in dark. But in this, in this passage that we're looking at, there is the, uh, God says, says that um, in, the, in the verse before Isaiah 50, 11, in, in, in verse 10, he says, well, let me turn and read that to you. Um, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let him walk in the dark who has no light and trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. The calling in the verse before this is, is trust God in the dark. Trust him in your dark. And then the, 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 the picture of, a, of someone who is sinning, but now all you who light fires and provide yourself with flaming torches Go walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive at the hand of the Lord. You will lie down in torment. Have you ever been in a room that's dark and you try to walk across the room and you don't know, maybe a hotel room or a room and they've turned the lights out and you're trying to get across and you just keep bumping into stuff? That could happen in our home. Um, I'm married to an incredibly creative woman who can move furniture around like you have never, you would not understand. I and mean, we have kind of rearranged our house in ways that you would, I mean, it's unimaginable how many times, uh, I don't think it's possible. Uh, statistically, I don't think you could add another way to put couches in our living room. And, uh, and so there have been many times where I've, I have stumbled across and, and, and there was a, a couch and my knee were in the exact same place at the same time thinking there wasn't a couch here before. Um, because I'm in the dark. There is a tendency in the dark. What's the first thing you try to do? Let's get a light on here. Let's get some light on here so I can see. The, the, the call in this passage before was an idea of in the dark, trust God in the dark. Don't light your own torches. Don't light your own fires and then trust those. Trust God in the darkest of times. Where, where are your dark times? Have you had any dark times? I mean, some of you have had some really, really difficult times in your life. I've had a real easy life, I know. This last week, I was in a hospital with my son who had surgery. 
for us, that was dark. For us, there was that fear. It's in those dark times you kind of make deals with God. Remember those, those when you said, no, if you could just only do this or if you would do that. It's those times when you start to say things like, uh, that's when you make your vows. The biggest, most of our vows in our lives were not made in the daylight. Most of the vows we made were made in the dark. Dark times. I'll do this. I'll never do this. They'll never think I'm stupid again. They'll never, I will never be, be I'll never be shown as, I'll never have that kind of shame. I'll, ne- I'll never, those are the vows we often make in the dark. So what do you do when you're in the dark? This passage would suggest the metaphor of when you're in the darkest of places to just don't, don't frantically, desperately light your own candle. Don't, don't grab for the light. Stop. Trust. Trust in God in the dark. Trust him even in the dark places. Oh, you need to put your name. When we talk about the houses, the, I mean, building your own city, you need to write down what your city, what your houses are in the city. We talk about building your, your deepest longings, a commitment to not, that you will be satisfied. What are those deepest longings and how are you digging your own well? But in this, think of your darkest of places. So think of those places where you say, I will not live in mystery. I refuse to live in mystery. I will find a way to manage it. I will fix it and manage it and put it together and I will not have to trust. I will get it all so worked out that I don't have to trust in anything other than me. I will light my own blazing torch and I will live on the, in, the, in the shadow of my own light because that I can trust, that I can get through. I will not live in mystery. I will only live in a life that I can manage. How's that going for you? That third picture of sin for us this morning is a picture of somebody who, who refuses in their darkest of times, who says, I will not trust God in those times of great fear, and we all have those times of doubt. We all, don't, we all have those times where we say, what is God up to? But it'd just be easier to be a pagan. We've all had those moments where we've questioned it all, God says, oh, in those moments, those dark times, trust me in those times. Don't don't just trust yourself. Don't don't try to manage it. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to light your torch. Trust me. Trust me in that time. Got any lamp lighters here? Every time we get to one of these, I I think my name needs to be in the front of the list. But my guess is, if this is all we have, if, if we just compare ourselves against these standards, why would that help us to rekindle our faith again? Oh, because that's not how he sees us now. But, but one more image, and then let's talk about the good news that's on the other side of these images. Fourth image I'd suggest for you this morning it's found in Ezekiel. 
you just need to tell Jeff when he comes back that, that I just walked you all all over the Old Testament. That, you know, that I was, you know, just telling that we was just, and you need to tell him that, okay? We want him to, want him to believe that that's what took place. Hey, we're in Ezekiel 13, 10 and 11. And uh, I'm going to read it. Um, I believe in your, in your notes, it says precisely because they've misled my people saying peace when there is no peace. And because when they build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Say to those who smear it with whitewash that it'll fall. There will be a deluge of rain and you and, and, and great hailstones will fall and stormy wind will break out. Here's the picture. Those are the prophets. Now, in ancient times, when a wall was breached, because a wall was protection, you had to do two things. You either rebuilt the wall or you guarded the place where the wall was broken. I mean, that, and, and a prophet, somebody who people listen to, a, a leader, a politician, if you will, in some ways, their job would be to tell the people there was a breach in the wall, and then make sure that it was either protected or fixed. That, that seems, that, that, that's kind of what should take place. However, these prophets were saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And what they did with the breach in the wall is they just covered it up with, with whitewash and made it look strong, but it was really weak. And so they just put up a whitewash over a breach in the wall, saying, hey, it's great. Everything's fine. No, just great. How are you? Good. Everything's great. And you just cover life with a whitewash. The fourth sin is a picture of a whitewashed brokenness that's covered by whitewash. Not the whitewash of the blood of Christ, but a whitewash that pretends. A whitewash that says, oh, the wall's strong when it really isn't. The commitment of the fourth picture here is, is to say, I will not live exposed. I will not be exposed. Remember, when you're exposed, you'll either live in shame or justification and anger, or humility and gratitude. And our commitment is, I will not live, be exposed. I will not be exposed. I will cover it up with whitewash. I won't, I'll be an inch deep and 10 miles wide, and I'll just, I'll just say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. That fourth picture of sin is a, is a picture that says God takes very seriously those who don't look honestly at, at their lives and just whitewash it all up. The first picture is a picture of that God takes very seriously people who don't trust him and what he says is going to happen to them and tries to, and, and doesn't trust him with their relationships, but basically says, I'll take care of it myself. The second picture is a picture where God says he takes very seriously the people who um, the people who don't take who take their their thirst their longings and, and and try to meet those needs themselves 
The third is a picture of somebody who won't live in mystery. We won't live in mystery, and God takes very seriously somebody who doesn't, who 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 wants to, um, who wants to try to turn life into something you manage instead of something that you trust, and someone you trust in a way that you live, and you turn life into some sort of management and checking off boxes instead of loving and trusting and obeying. The fourth picture is a picture that says God takes very seriously those who don't allow the truth of the gospel to go deep inside their broken places and just whitewashes it up. Now you think, I just wish I hadn't come today. This man has just been so negative. He told that funny thing. At first, I thought this would turn out better. <laughs> I have, I, at the end of this sermon, I, have, I, I think I'm a city builder, a well digger, a, light, a, a lamp lighter, and a whitewasher. Well, this is just terrible. <laughs> no, it's good news. See, I need my faith sometimes rekindled. And it'll never be rekindled if I don't understand from what depths I have been drawn out and called his beloved. That when he looks at me, he doesn't call me a lamplighter. He doesn't call me a whitewasher. He doesn't call me a city builder. He doesn't call me a well digger. He, he calls me his beloved. The son You're his daughter. You're his child. That's good news. I don't have to spend the rest of my life living in these metaphors because I've been invited to live differently now, and so have you. What does Jesus promise? What does he say about the city? He says, look at at Hebrews, where it says, um, it says in Hebrews 13, 14, for here we do not have an enduring city. We are looking for the city of God. You see, there is a city. He's building it. What did he say? What was his promise? What was his promise? His promise was he was going to go prepare a place for us. There is a city. He's got a city. And it's not gonna be your dumpy little city that'll fall apart. It's the glorious city of God, the kingdom of God. He's building the city. And what did he promise to his children? He says, I go to prepare a place for you in his city. The freedom, the freedom to know I don't have to spend the rest of my life building a city. I work in a seminary. And in that seminary, there's a library full of books and many of them just have dust on them. And I know great theologians years ago that wrote those books and said, this book will really make a difference. This book is gonna be the best book I've ever read. And they meant well and God probably inspired them to write it and they probably did help quite a few people. But how quickly it has been forgotten. How quickly there's just dust on it. Because you, you build a city You can build your own city if you want. It just won't last. Or the promise of God. Look at his contrast. Look, we painted this kind of dark picture of of kind of what we're like. 
And then look at the picture that he paints of who he is. He says, no, I, there is a city. There is a city and I go to prepare a place for you there. You don't have to be a city builder because he's building a city. It's his city. Look at the second picture. You're thirsty. You have deep longings. Well, I, I don't know that I ever go to sleep satisfied. I've set, I'm, I'm just not very content. I'm a kind of a really contentious sort of old cuss. I'm just never content. It's always like, you know, it could have been this, could have been better. Somebody asked me how the sermon went, well, it could have been better. I don't know. And it could have been. But that sense of longing, that sense of being thirsty and parched in a desert, what is the promise? If that's the picture that we painted this morning, this picture, this, 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 this stubborn person that looks at God and says, I won't trust you with my deepest longings. I'll take care of it myself. I'm going to build my own well. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of myself. I'll meet my needs. What's the picture over here? <laughs> Look at the picture of Jesus or the woman in the well when he says that, that if she takes this water, she'll never be thirsty again. What's the promise? The promise on this side, the picture of the glory of God, the picture on this side of the gospel is not the picture of a thirsty people in a desert starving and, and parched, but a picture of a God who is the source of living water. Look at the third picture. The third picture is that of, a, of the dark. Of the dark. What's the contrast of that? What's the gospel picture against that? Jesus is the light. The idea of the light. That he is the light. He, is, he makes everything make sense. What's the other picture? The, the, the fourth picture over here is a picture of, 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 a, of a scared poser trying to just make life look good on the outside, just trying to hold it all together to be okay. What's the picture over here? Jesus actually had words for people like that. Remember when he talked about, you're like, when he talked to the Pharisees, he said they were like whitewashed tombs. Paul uses that same metaphor when he speaks to the, to the, um, when he speaks to the authorities. And so what happens? What's the picture? Oh, the picture is that you are known. That those dark places in you that you are afraid for anybody to know, they're already known. The broken places in you, that's where he does his best work. And you can spend your whole life hiding those if you want to. I sure do. But on this side of the cross, the gospel, he already knows. And he doesn't declare him broken anymore. You see, this started out as kind of a lot of bad news. Pictures and images of, of our stubborn commitment to find life outside of him. You know my latest one, I've got to just confess to you, is a Cam Am motorcycle. Now, I don't know if you know what these things are. They, they, are these, they just are rocket ships that 
that if they really look odd. They've got two wheels in the front, one in the back. Just, just nod. It's, it's, it's my latest thing that's, 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 isn't it funny what little things will creep in that we love that is so much, that just will fade away compared to the real lover of our soul that invites us to have passion for him. My wife will come in and, and I'll be looking in the, on my computer at pictures of KMM motorcycles and on eBay and I'm, I'm writing to these people that are selling them and saying, well, you know, have you, what you and, and I've rationalized it. I've said things like, well, you know, Skylar could ride on the back of them and they don't fall over and they're very safe. <laughs> it is amazing. It is amazing what we can rationalize. It is absolutely amazing. Now, there's nothing wrong with KMM motorcycles and there's nothing wrong with, but there is something wrong with that false belief that if I just had something else, that there's a better lover of my soul than Jesus Christ. There is something wrong with that. There's something that'll satisfy me much more deeply than Jesus Christ. There's something, and if I just fill in that blank and I'll take care of it myself because I can't trust him anyway, that's what's wrong with a KMM motorcycle. In and of itself, it's fine. I'm telling myself that so in case it ever happened to have one. There is not a better lover of your soul. There is not a better lover of your soul. Listen to me this day. You are no longer, if you know Jesus Christ, you are no longer a city builder. You are no longer a well digger. You're no longer a lamplighter. You're no longer a whitewasher. You're a son or a daughter of the one who's the true lover of your soul. And if we'd allow that to touch us afresh again, we'll fall back in love with the one who's the lover of our soul. Because ultimately, all those other things can't love you back. They never could and never will. So my fellow recovering and ex-lamplighters, city builders, well diggers, and whitewashers, we have been redeemed. Now, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a preacher. I'm a psychologist. But somehow, I do think this text, or the text we've looked at today, the topic does lend itself to a quick evangelistic comment. Nothing I've said makes any sense to you at, at all unless you are a redeemed child of God. Because you're going to spend your life over here building cities, digging wells, whitewashing your life off, and, 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 lamping your, and, and, right, and lighting lamps and thinking that's all you got. And so if you're in here, and you've just been brought here, you've been coming here forever, and you just, you've just always kind of thought God was getting a good deal because you're a nice guy. Or you thought God was getting a good deal because you're a pretty good person. I just would love to invite you to get out of that and live into a freedom that would invite you to understand you're a redeemed child of God. So if you do not know him, please don't leave here this day without settling that. 
And, and any of us up here would be glad to talk with you about that. But don't leave here without settling that. Because it doesn't have to be the futile life of trying to find and fix yourself with things that don't work. With trying to take care of your thirst with a cistern that doesn't hold water. So, with that one evangelistic caveat, let's pray. Father, if there is someone here that doesn't know you, would you call them even now? Would you give them that sense that you brought them here to hear these words because you consider them or that you want them in your family? Father, for the rest of us, would you remind us that we are not, that we are no longer, you, you do not see us as, as city builders. You do not see us as, as well diggers. You do not see us as lamplighters or as whitewashers. You see us as your beloved children. And Father, teach us to live in the freedom. Teach us to live in the power. Teach us to live in the glory of that beautiful love, the truth of your gospel. We pray in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.